Good morning. It's not quite afternoon, but it's getting close. My name is Richard Haney, and Corey invited me to reintroduce myself because I've been gone a while. I preach here sometimes and enjoy that, and I work a little bit with the mission committee. My full-time job is with Frontier Fellowship, a mission agency that helps American Christians engage with unreached peoples in the world. And I'm sitting today because I had knee replacement surgery in December. I preached here the first Sunday of Advent, the last Sunday in November, and then I went into hiding. Uh, The next week I had both knees replaced, and so I'm kind of emerging now. And uh, I thought I could preach the first service standing up and maybe the second, and then the third one I'd just be sprawled out here. And that would not be good for you all, so I'm going to sit. And maybe one more thing about me is that I'm related to Chris, our uh, offertory soloist, by marriage. He uh, married my daughter, lucky guy, (laughs) and uh, very fortunate for us too, so it's kind of fun for us to be in the same service together. We're back in the Gospel of Luke today. Uh, Last two Sundays, Corey's been preaching from Luke, I think, 16 and 17, sinners are healed and the rejected are included. Uh, Today, the dejected have hope, they're satisfied by the hope. God brings to them. So we're in kind of those latter part chapters of Luke's gospel before we get to Holy Week and Jesus' passion, learning about the kingdom of God. And this particular passage uh, is a pretty familiar one, I think, to us. It's a parable. So let's pray and uh, study God's word together. Let's pray. Gracious God, in heaven and here by your Holy Spirit, teach us from your word. We thank you for Luke's gospel. We thank you for the attention he seemed to pay to angels and to women and the Holy Spirit and to those who were victims of injustice. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word. Teach us, Holy Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. Luke 18, I'm going to read 1 to 8. I left one verse out, and I'm going to add it in at the end, verse 8. Listen to God's word. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? And here's verse 8. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. A couple of years ago, a fairly high-ranking official from Russia defected, left Russia, came to the United States. And After a few weeks, he had settled in, and a friend of his that worked in the Russian embassy in Washington 
went to visit him and said, you know, Dmitri, I, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't understand why you left. You know, Russia's a great place these days. Was there something wrong with your apartment? Did you not have, like, a big enough apartment? No, 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 I can't complain. Well, was there something about your job? You didn't feel like you had room to grow or advance? No, can't complain. Well, was there something about the perks and the food or something about our culture you don't like? Can't complain. Well, then, Dimitri, what was it? Sergey, it's very simple. I can't complain. In Russia, I can't complain as a high-ranking official. And if you were in Turkey today, you might say, hmm, I can't complain. And in many other countries. Do we take that for granted? Our freedom to complain, to say what we think, to register concern and complaint. This story that Jesus tells today is a complaint story. Here is an unnamed widow and a faceless judge, and they're brought together because she has a justice concern, and she complains. Seems like a noble complaint. Maybe some of our complaints aren't so noble, but this is a complaint that Jesus tells a story about. Why? So we will pray and not lose heart. So let's just take a minute and remember what a parable is. A parable is a kind of comparison. It can be a short comparison like a proverb. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like leaven in a bunch of dough. Or it can be a big, long, complicated comparison. A man had two sons. And the youngest came to the father and said, give me my share of the inheritance. So the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the good Samaritan, those are the famous parables, big, full-blown stories. But there are lots of smaller ones, too. This one's a story parable, but it's a short one. Here's the most important thing to know about interpreting parables. You're looking for one main point that compares something in everyday life with the kingdom of God, God's reign. So they're not allegory. So years ago, people used to take the parable of the Good Samaritan and try to Find every little thing in the parable and connect it to something in the kingdom of God. Now you're looking for one big basic comparison. It's like Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this. Let me tell you a story. A story about a woman and a story about a judge. So this story has two characters, unjust judge and a widow that's not really described except she's persistent about some cause she has with an adversary. It's a justice cause. Now, the judge is described a little further by this. A judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. It's helpful to remember that different cultures have different ways of adjudicating issues, guilt, shame. The Middle East is a shame-honor culture. What is important is what people see, your reputation. In the West, we are more of a guilt culture. We internalize what we've done wrong, and then we have to work through it with penance or forgiveness. What counts for us is kind of the condition of our heart. But in a lot of places, it's your reputation. It's your face, and you don't want to lose face. So in dealing with people, sometimes there are long, long conversations and debates because you don't want to offend someone 
and cause them to lose face. So the unjust judge has no shame, right? Doesn't care what people think. Doesn't care about losing face. Didn't care about God. Didn't care about people. And the widow is a woman, doesn't have a man to advocate for her, which would be the normal situation. So how is she going to get uh, justice? Now, the Bible says that justice for widows is really important. Here's a line, a couple lines from Jeremiah, where the Lord says, Act with justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor anyone who has been robbed, cheated, and do no wrong or violence to the alien, the stranger in our midst, who doesn't yet have connections and relationships and status, or the orphan, a child who has no parents, or the widow, a woman who is alone in the world. All throughout the Old Testament, the widow, the orphan, the alien, stand for people who can be victims because they don't have a status and an apparatus that will defend them. So the only way the woman is going to get justice in a shame-honor culture where the judge has no shame is to pay a bribe. That's the way you do it. You send some money. She probably wouldn't even pay it herself. She'd ask someone to take money to the judge, and then maybe he would grant her case. I have a former professor uh, and friend, David Wells, who used to teach theology, and he wrote kind of a modern-day version of this parable. He said, imagine a woman in Chicago, an African-American woman, who has her two grandchildren with her in a poor tenement apartment in Chicago's south side. And the landlord is supposed to provide not only apartment, but heat, and there's no heat. And last year there wasn't very little heat and she complained. This year there's no heat and she complained and he said, well, you can always move out. I'll put somebody else in here. And so she went to the judge and the judge ignored her and she went again and again and again. And finally the judge granted her plea to get justice in the case of an evil landlord. That just maybe brings it home a little bit more. Here's a widow who has been denied access to something, her money, heat in her apartment, and she's pounding and saying, give me justice. I'm not going to accept this. There's a couple of pictures in the history of art that try to depict this. This is a very contemplative one. I don't think this woman was a contemplative pursuer of justice. But this one gets a little bit closer. You see she's kind of there in the mix and people are trying to hold her back from the judge and prevent her from getting there. But she somehow makes her case. I can almost imagine a woman in a village and everybody knows the judge and everybody knows the widow. And every time she sees him, she's after him in the street in the cafe, in the courtroom. This judge is a magistrate. He's not an appellate judge. He just simply rules between people who have disputes, and a little bit of money helps. But she is seeking after justice. So what do we learn from her? Well, the first thing is that she recognizes the injustice of her situation and is willing to own it and then do something about it. She resists. And finally, she does something by asking, pleading, persevering for justice, recognizing injustice. How 
How well attuned do you think you are to injustice? Do you you know it when you see it? Justice is a big word. The same word in the Bible is righteousness. Everything right, right standing, right balance of what we need and what is owed to us. Are you pretty good at spotting injustice? How many of you seen the movie Hidden Figures? Some of you been to that? Uh, it's a movie about three African-American women who were mathematicians for NASA when uh, the space program was in its early days, the John Glenn orbit the Earth days. And there's a scene, a couple of scenes, where one of the women, to go to the bathroom, has to leave her building and go about 200 yards to another building to go to the colored bathroom. Now it's the 2017, and we know that's part of our history. It seems a little bit like ancient history. But you know, my wife remembers in Raleigh, North Carolina, colored drinking fountains. I was in California those days. I don't remember that. But it wasn't that long ago. And she has to go all the way there, all the way back. And they wonder, why is she taking these interminable breaks? Because of the system. And there's a great scene when somebody does something about the colored bathroom. I won't describe it for you because you'll cheer when you see it. But do you recognize injustice when you see it? Are your ears and your heart and your mind tuned to it when somebody has been denied something? I, I asked a friend of mine who goes to Haiti a lot. I said, what in Haiti represents injustice? He said, here are three things. People don't have adequate food and water, they're poor. People don't have access to medical care, they're deprived of that. And people don't have jobs and ways to earn a living. And in every case, he used the word lack, no access. And frankly, that's the way I see the world of global mission. And my job is to help people think about unreached peoples. And I kind of have started thinking about people who have never heard the good news of Jesus as victims of injustice. Is it just that you can go to three different churches on this road and there are people in Niger that have about eight or ten churches to go to in the whole country? Is that just? And people who are denied water and food and human rights and civil rights, is it just? So justice has something to do with being denied or lacking access to those good things that God has for all people. Well, this woman resists Injustice by not giving up, but by rebelling. And you might think the word rebelling is a little strong. Again, uh, David Wells, who put the parable in a Chicago setting, says the nature of petitionary prayer is rebellion. It's rebellion against everything God calls evil or unrighteousness. It's rebellion against the status quo. When we start to think that what is abnormal in God's eyes is normal in our eyes. And so we have to have a plumb line, don't we, to know what is normal in the kingdom of God. That's why we need Scripture, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, the prophets who cried out against injustice. Go and read Amos again, who said, let justice roll down like a roaring waterfall. So this widow refused to take her situation and lie down, but rebelled, 
and then persevered in knocking on the judge's door. Now, Jesus tells the story, so we will look at her perseverance and say, do I pray that way? That's the comparison. Make, make the switch. The widow rebels against her injustice by requesting justice. We are called to pray against injustice and for justice and not to give up. That's what Jesus is presenting. When I was planting a new church out in Chesterfield County, I used to encounter people that had never prayed before. They had never been to church before. And people would say, you talk about praying, but I don't know how to pray. And so I sat down with a lot of people, and I opened the Bible, and I said, this is a whole book of prayers. It's called the Psalms. They were Israel's prayers. And the church has always learned from them. They're there to teach you how to pray. And there are prayers that are beautiful literature, like the 23rd Psalm. And there are prayers for wisdom, like the 90th Psalm. And then there are prayers where people just don't try to impress God, and they shout at him. Like Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You prayed that prayer recently? It's okay to pray that way. Because honest people speak honestly to each other. And God can handle our honest prayers. Do you remember Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the prayer Jesus took with him to the cross, right? He didn't pray his own prayer. He prayed the prayer of Israel that said exactly what was in his heart. He felt forsaken because he was taking on the sins of the world. And God was hiding his face to let the sin be paid for. So the Bible encourages us to um, be honest in our prayer and to say what is on our mind. Somebody asked me this morning, I don't understand this persevering in prayer. Once I've told God what is in my heart, God knows. God probably knew before I even told him. And isn't it kind of offensive to kind of keep going back to God and saying, well, God, here it is again. Here it is again. Doesn't he, doesn't he already get it? And I said, well, let me explain. Then I said, are you going to be in the sermon this morning? <laughs> let, me, let me try then. We pray because we know who God is and what he does. And we pray because we believe that our life ought to somehow align with his kingdom. And it's a prayer out of a relationship. If you don't have a relationship with God it's going to seem a little weird to keep telling things to God. But, you know, if you're a child and you have a relationship with your parent, don't you go to your parent again and again and say, could, could I have this? Could I do this? And don't your parents sometimes say no? And you go back and you ask again? My little uh, five-year-old granddaughter asked her mom, my daughter this week, in the middle of the week, hey, mom, can I have dessert? And her mom said, well, it's not the weekend. It's not a dessert night. Yeah, but mom, Nana has some really good ice cream in the freezer, and I've been good all day, and can I have some dessert? And she wilted, and she gave in. (laughs) Out of a loving relationship, we can pray what's on our heart and tell God. 
And God invites us to pray not just about the little things, but about the justice things. So let me, let me invite you to do these things as you think about this parable. Number one, wherever you are in life, begin there with your prayer. Whatever concerns you, start there. Years ago, my wife was teaching creative writing to homeschoolers, and she was trying to get the boys especially to write about something. And so she said, what are you reading? And some of them would produce comic books about, you know, gladiators or something. And she said, okay, write about that. Write about what you care about. Write about what you know about. Friends, pray about what you know about. There's something you care about. There's someone or there's some situation that's on your heart. And you say, okay, well, I told God about that. Is it still in your heart? Continue to tell the Lord because he, he cares about you. He wants to know what's in, what is in your heart. I have a little nephew in a Portland, Oregon hospital, NICU, who was born three weeks ago at 24 weeks, a pound and a half. And my brother, his grandfather, was with me the last two days. And, you know, every day there's some kind of drama with a breathing apparatus because it's really hard for this little one with not developed lungs. But he keeps making it day after day, week after week. I'm going to pray for him every day. I'm not going to miss a day. Not because the Lord won't do it if I miss a day. I care about it. And I want God to know I care about it. And so I take it every day. So begin where you are, what's in your circle. And then would you ask God to enlarge your circle? Maybe beyond your family and friends. Maybe to a different part of this country. Maybe to different countries. I, I pray about Mosul every day. I don't know if you've got Mosul... Iraq, you know, they're trying to take Mosul from ISIS. There's 650,000 people trapped behind enemy lines in East Mosul, and 350,000 of them are children. We should pray about them. I pray about them every day. You have your own things, I have my own things. Start where you are, and then enlarge your circle. And then realize that we pray better when our faith is stronger and we don't pray very much when we don't have faith. You might be here today and not be a person of faith. And so prayer seems really odd. Pray anyway. I've known people that started by praying and then started believing. And if you believe, then you believe, so pray. And let your faith increase. You know that enigmatic verse, 8 but when the Son of Man comes to earth, will he find faith? At first I thought, that's just kind of odd. And then I thought, how are people going to pray for justice? How are they going to knock on the door unless they know who God is, that God is gracious? God is not like the unjust judge. God is gracious Heavenly Father. How much more will he grant justice? How much more will he answer prayers? How much more does he care for your little ones? But is your God too small? Is your God too small for a baby that's born at one and a half pounds, for people who have never heard? God is big, and your faith grows bigger as you trust him. Now, it's true. God does not answer all our prayers the way we want and when we want. C.S. Lewis said God retains a discretionary power over prayer, and it's a good thing he did, or life would really be in a bad way. Because we don't pray wisely, right? Right? We don't have the wisdom and the knowledge to know how to pray. And so as my 
80-year-old friend at Swift Creek used to say, Richard, God is not, pre- I'm praying for my children to become believers, and they're not. I know, I know, not my will, but thy will be done. She would complain to me, and then she would say, I know, I don't have the whole picture. I don't see everything. May the Lord help you to pray where you are and let the circle get bigger, and may the Lord develop in your mind and heart an edge for injustice. I'll finish with, uh, with two quick stories. I've had some dialogue recently with some of our people who go to Haiti, and I learned recently that we have 43 people in this church that have signed up to pray for a child in Gertrude's or St. Gertrude's orphanage. 43. Can you imagine if those 43 are praying for their children every day, taking that to the Lord, saying, these people have handicaps. Would you bless them? Would you heal them? Would you help them? Last week, we had Tim and Kim. Do you remember them, the missionary couple? They spoke for a couple of minutes. And if you came to one of the other events, you might have heard the story. But if not, Tim's an agricultural ministry, and he's in Central Asia. But for 10 years, he was in East Asia. And he grew plum trees that turned into plums and then prunes. And he was there almost 10 years before he got kicked out, before they ever had the first harvest. And he said, it was so discouraging. The soil scientist said, you'll never grow plums. This is the worst soil I've ever seen. It's biologically impossible for you to grow plums in this soil. And they felt led to plant plum trees in that soil. And then the water came out of the well, and it was salt water. And they had to dig another well. But finally, they got a well with hundreds of thousands of gallons. And it looked like it might work. But Tim had to leave. And he had to monitor things from afar. He said, you know, we prayed for a certain harvest, and we looked like a harvest, and then every time we looked at the blossoms and the fruit, we had to raise a number. The first harvest was five times what we expected. But he said, I almost didn't make it. There were times when I heard the soil scientists, and I saw what happened with the well, and he said, I was hanging on by my fingertips, about to give up. You ever been in that situation? It seems so hard. But God cares, and he wants you to trust him enough to tell him what's on your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you retreated to the countryside to pray again and again and again, that you are a man of parables and a man of prayer. And here's a little parable about prayer and justice and faith. Lord, help us to apply it to our own lives. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be people whose faith is growing. Let us be committed to your justice, your kingdom, your righteousness. For we ask in your name.